0: Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to uh, ask you to turn your Bibles this evening to three openings of Scripture, John chapter 6, John chapter 14, and John chapter 5. I want to um, establish, um, use these Scriptures to establish a foundation about the purpose for Jesus coming to the earth and what He was here to do. I spent a good portion of my Christian life, Christian experience, thinking that Jesus came to the earth to prove he was the son of God. But the Bible tells us just the opposite. I thought that everything that he did was for the purpose of people realizing, coming to the realization that he was the son of God. But when I started reading the Bible closely, I found that he called himself the son of man numerous times, but only the son of God a couple of times. He, uh, Jesus focused on his earthly authority because he was born of a woman of course it was the virgin birth and so his birth was a little bit different in that respect a lot different in that respect but very few times did jesus come out come right out and tell people plainly that he was the messiah but one thing that he did do was he taught people that came to him about the authority that man has on the earth so beginning in john chapter 6 verse 38 jesus said for i came down from heaven not to do mine own will but the will of him that sent me. John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said unto him, he's talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Philip, in the preceding verse, Philip asked him to show him the Father. So he says, Have you not known me, Philip, through all this time I've been with you? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And sayest thou then, Show us the Father. Believeth not, That I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Finally, John chapter 5, verse 19, Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Now the reason I picked these scriptures out is because I want you to see concerning the will of God, concerning the works, meaning the miracles and signs and wonders that took place in his ministry, and also the words that he spoke. He attributes all that to God. He attributes every bit of that to the, uh, the work of the Holy Ghost. He calls it his Father in him, but we know that's how the Father is in us, by the power of the Holy Ghost. So he attributed the words that he taught the things that he preached the words that he spoke along with the works that he performed and along with the will of God that sent him he attributes all that to his father rather than himself now folks that's important because so many times people raise questions or really, it's the devil raising questions in their mind and they take hold of these questions and they ask or wonder about a lot of things concerning the will and the plan and the purpose of God but if Jesus did anything in his earthly ministry contrary to the will of God that makes him a sinner if he did one thing contrary to the plan and the purpose of God if he healed one sick person against the will of God that made Jesus a sinner if he's a sinner then he's an unworthy sacrifice unworthy substitute for us and there is no salvation there is no way to God but if Jesus did speak the words of his father if he did do the works of his father if he came to do the father's will and not his own then that means everything Jesus did in his earthly ministry everything we have record of in the four gospels is a revelation to us of the will and the plan and the purpose of God are you with me turn with me to Matthew chapter 8 Matthew chapter 8 beginning in verse 1 it says when he was come down from the mountain great multitudes followed him and behold there came a leper and worshipped him saying Lord if you will you can make me clean and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying I will be thou clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said unto him see thou tell no man but go thy way and show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them He's not telling him not to, not to tell anybody ever about the healing mercy of God. He's saying make sure you go to the priest and fulfill the, the requirements of the law for a leper to be cleansed before you do go telling anybody else. He's getting him, he's instructing him to follow the law of Moses concerning being cleansed from leprosy. So what do we see? We see one person, one person, out of all the multitudes, out of all the people that Jesus healed. I have no idea how many people he ministered to or how many people he um, uh, ministered the the, uh, healing power of God to in his earthly ministry. We know that there were multitudes of people that came to hear him preach. We know that there were multitudes of people on on several occasions that were healed, every one. Every sick person in the crowd, every sick person that was in that particular place were healed. So however many that would be, we know that they were all healed because God's will is healing. Now this guy, he's the only one that questions whether or not it's God's will. That's the only one we have record of. Does that mean he's the only one that ever asked Jesus about God's will to heal? Doesn't mean that at all. But it means that we have a record of only one person. Now if there were a thousand people in Jesus' ministry that came to him, during those three years that he was here on the earth. If there were a thousand people that believed or wondered or or thought like this guy, this leper, why wouldn't the Bible tell us? Maybe we should ask it this way. Would it be necessary for us to know that there were a thousand people that questioned God's healing, uh, his will concerning healing? Well, the answer is no, it wouldn't be important for us to know that because God's will is the same for every person. He's no respecter of persons. His will for one person is the same thing as his will for other people. Now that means God wants the same thing for all of us. It doesn't mean he's got the same plan for our lives. But when it comes to the things that became a part of redemption, part of the redemptive work of Jesus, and the Bible says Jesus took stripes on his back and that with his stripes we were healed. Anything that's a part of redemption, anything that's part of what Jesus paid for through his death, burial, and resurrection, God wants that for all of us no distinction whatsoever well what about people that don't receive turn with me to, chapter, to Luke chapter um, 4 and Mark chapter 6 Luke chapter 4 beginning in verse 18 Jesus went to the city of Nazareth where he had been brought up Preceding verses tell us that he went into the synagogue and stood up to read it was as was his custom. And he there was delivered, verse 17, we'll start reading. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Remember Jesus said I only do the will of him that sent me. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, the place that he turned to in our Bibles would correspond to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1, 2, and 3. And it tells us that Jesus found this passage which everybody knew, everybody understood that these verses pertain to the Messiah. And so when Jesus reads those things and says that he's anointed to heal the brokenhearted and preach deliverance to the captives and so forth, and he sits down and then says this this day these scriptures are fulfilled in your ears, he's confessing that he's the Messiah. He's saying these things are talking about me. Now he has some trouble. He runs in some difficulty because the people begin to murmur and they start to question. How can Jesus say these things? And one of the things they use as evidence that they've built their case on to reject what Jesus is saying is they said, we know his parents. Well, everybody knew everybody in Israel knew that there was supposed to be a virgin birth attached to the Messiah's coming. And so when they thought that they knew Joseph was his father, to them that said he can't be the Messiah. And so they reject him. They refuse to accept what he's saying. Now look in Mark's account, Mark chapter 6. It tells us that Jesus responded to the people I've got the wrong reference. Where is it? It's Mark chapter 6, isn't it? Where he goes to his hometown in Nazareth. Mark gives us some information. You know one of the things I really don't like about this new technology? You can't see the whole page like you could in the Bible. the, the, The physical thing. Here we are. Thank you in Mark chapter 6 verse 5 you can read some of the preceding verses and identify that it's still talking about Nazareth the same thing that we just read in Luke chapter 4 but notice in verse 5 it says and he could there do no mighty work save or accept that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them now notice it says that he couldn't do anything there it does not say that he wouldn't it's not talking about the will of God he's already proclaimed what the will of God is when he reads from Isaiah 61, when he pronounces that those verses about being anointed, and remember the word, the name Christ means the anointed one. When he says these scriptures are talking about me, and he identifies that the anointing that was upon him to include healing for the physical body, deliverance for the captives, when he identifies that that's talking about him, he's clearly saying it's God's will for me to do these works in this place. But he wasn't able to. Again read verse 5. And he could there, not he wouldn't there, but he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief and he went round about the villages teaching. Now notice something here, folks where it says he couldn't do anything of note. He didn't, uh, this uh, scripture where it says he laid his hands upon a few sick folks, that's an unusual verse or unusual word in the Bible. It means sickly. It means people with minor ailments. So the only thing he was able to do is lay his hands on a few folks that didn't have too much wrong with them and bring healing to them. Well, is that what he was anointed to do? Not according to what he had announced. He was anointed to open blind eyes. He was anointed to heal the brokenhearted. He was anointed to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. He was anointed to do great miracles in Nazareth, just like he was anointed to do great miracles everywhere else he went. He's telling them, I'm anointed. Now, if he's anointed in that place, if he's anointed in that city, in that town, in that synagogue, if he's anointed there, then doesn't that mean it was the will of God for that to happen? Why would he be anointed if if God's will was for those things not to happen? Why would he need the anointing? But by virtue of the fact that he announces that he's anointed, he's saying this is God's will for this place. But God's will wasn't carried out. Wasn't any fault of Jesus. He came doing the same thing in this city and the city of Nazareth that he probably did in every other place. The difference was in the people, not in him. He wasn't less anointed there than he was in Capernaum. Uh, in Luke's account, they give reference to that. He said, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why don't I do the same things in Capernaum or do here in the same things that I did in Capernaum? And the difference between the two cities and the results of two, two cities got was very simply the attitude of the people, not God's attitude. Now, folks, if this is a principle and if it's not a principle why is it given to us but if this is a principle if it's an understanding of how things work then there would be people that we come in contact with just like there are people that Jesus came in contact with that would not receive their healing but their failure to receive would not have any bearing whatsoever on God's will concerning their health are you with me do you understand what I'm saying did that make sense The will of God cannot always be determined by the results that it brings. It certainly could not in Nazareth. Jesus says, I'm anointed to heal the sick. I'm anointed to do miracles and signs and wonders here in Nazareth, just like I was in Capernaum. They've heard about what happened in Capernaum. They're all scratching their heads because they thought they knew something that disqualified Jesus from being the Messiah. So based on what they thought they knew, they failed to receive what God sent Jesus to do in their midst. Now I want you to turn to, with me to another scripture in Mark chapter 9. Beginning in verse 14, it says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son which has a dumb spirit and wheresoever he taketh him he tears him and he foams and gnashes with his teeth and pines the way and I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out and they could not now Jesus has prior to this time put his hands on the apostles and sent them forth and given them healing power power to to heal and cure every manner of sickness and disease and to deliver the people from evil spirits cast out devils now here with them having been delivered by jesus himself the healing power of god this is a situation where it's not working they're going to question jesus later on in the story and ask him why they couldn't do something so jesus answers when the father says that the disciples couldn't do anything jesus answers him And said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now notice that Jesus is talking to the Father. Jesus does not turn around and say to the disciples, why can't you guys believe? He goes to the Father and and identifies the Father with the faithless generation, not the disciples. Now the the reality of this is the disciples tried to cast the devil out of this little boy and were unsuccessful. Well, you can imagine what a shaking thing that would be for the father who's heard about Jesus, heard about his healing power, sees Jesus as the answer to this lifelong problem that they've endured and all the difficulties associated with it. Jesus isn't there when the father brings his son. So somebody says, one of the disciples, my guess is, says, Jesus gave us power and authority over all sickness and disease and to cast out evil spirits. Don't worry, we'll take care of this. But then they can't. They try and they fail. Jesus knows the answer and identifies what the answer to the problem is right here in verse 19. He answered the Father and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now, when Jesus identifies the father as being part of a faithless generation, he's identifying to the father what the problem is. He's saying you have to believe he doesn't say, well, yeah, that power I delivered to the disciples in a previous chapter. It's not as strong today as it was when I first gave it to him. He doesn't make excuses for the disciples. He doesn't make excuses for the power or the authority that he delegated to them to heal sickness and disease, every manner of sickness and disease. He realizes that the only thing that can stop the plan and the purpose of God, which in this case is the healing power of God to accomplish what Jesus sent it to do, he knows the only thing that can stop that is faith, or I'm sorry, unbelief, a lack of faith. Now that fits perfectly with what we saw in Luke chapter fourteen and Mark chapter six. It fits perfectly. Capernaum was willing to believe, and so they experienced mighty works and signs and healing miracles. Nazareth was not willing to believe, and so they failed to receive. Now we've got a father who Jesus identifies as in the same situation, the same boat, same category as Nazareth. He says the problem is that you're not believing. Now he doesn't say you can't believe. He just identifies that he's not believing. Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him to Jesus. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tore him, talking about the son. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, Jesus asked the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And the father said, since he was a child. I assume that means something other than since birth. But it's been a long time anyway. And he describes what they've dealt with. Oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Can you imagine the dire circumstances this father is in? I think a lot of times we just read the stories through real quickly and we fail to put ourselves in the position of these, these people that experience the things of God. Do you realize how much on edge you would be as the parents of this boy. At any moment in time, he could throw him into the fire or throw him into the water trying to destroy. Him. Can you imagine the hell that they've experienced because of the work of the devil in their family? This guy is beyond desperate. He thought he had the answer. He thought there'd be a successful visit with Jesus. But now the disciples have tried and failed. So much so that whatever he's heard about Jesus healing the sick, he's not even sure about that anymore. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help. This would be a great place for Jesus to put his arms around the Father, pat him on the back, and say, don't worry about it. God's got a plan for this. But Jesus turns it right back around on the Father. When the Father said, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. This is a, a, a good translation, but misses the spirit of what Jesus said. If you go back and look at the original language, it's said in the manner of sarcasm. Jesus literally says, if I can. What's this if I can stuff? See, folks. Jesus believed, he knew to be true, that all things are possible to him that believes. He knew he had power over all manner of sickness and disease. He knew he had the authority to cast out devils. But that doesn't mean the devil's going to leave. It's going to take something on the the part of the family. In this case, the father, because the son wasn't in a position to exercise authority of his own. He knows the father's going to have to do something. So, when Jesus responds, he says, If I can, here's the answer. All things are possible to him that believes. It's not a question of Jesus' power, it's not a question of the will of God. It's simply an issue concerning faith on the part of the Father because He's got authority over this Son. So, the Father responds straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears again here's his desperation lord i believe help thou mine unbelief now that doesn't sound like great faith to me does it to you it sounds to me like the father is saying i'll believe anything you want me to believe. please just help me or something to that effect when jesus saw that the people came running together he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, "Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter, in, enter no more into him." And the spirit cried and rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as one dead. In so much, many said he is dead. So whatever this spirit did on his way out looked like it had taken this little boy's life. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? Again, that's an inf- uh, inference that they tried and failed. How would they know they couldn't if they hadn't tried? Notice what Jesus says Jesus said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Other gospel accounts identify that Jesus said something about their unbelief too. Well, that's not hard for me to understand because if they went into this with confidence saying we've got power over sickness and disease, authority to cast out devils that is delegated to us by Jesus himself, they try it and it fails. They're not used to it failing. The Bible tells us that when Jesus delivered or delegated that authority to them, that they got tremendous results so they're not used to this not working but because it doesn't work with this this boy who's being harassed by an evil spirit now they don't know what they've got there's no telling how many times they tried and failed but apparently it was enough for them to come to the place where they went from confidence in what Jesus gave them to wondering if it was ever going to work again so Jesus says because of your unbelief But then he says, how be it this kind cannot come forth but by prayer and fasting? Now, folks, there's a lot of things that we could talk about here. There's a lot of things we could speculate here. One thing that we know is that Jesus didn't have to go pray and fast to get the power of God to deliver it. So what's the purpose for the praying and fasting? Well, real briefly, fasting doesn't change you and fasting doesn't give you greater power. Neither does prayer. Prayer doesn't bring greater power. They didn't have power to begin with because they prayed or fasted. They they had power because Jesus delegated it to them. It was placed upon them by Jesus himself, acting in accordance with God's will to bring about the will of God on the earth. So when Jesus says prayer and fasting is necessary in this case, there's only one thing that makes the difference between Jesus and the disciples, and that is Jesus knew why it didn't work. They didn't. They didn't. But here's the point that I want to make. Even when there are situations with great difficulty, even though this account identifies that it was more than the average exercise of faith, more than the average exercise of the power of God to set this boy free, that didn't change one bit the fact that it was God's will for the boy to be free. Now if the story had ended before Jesus ever came back, if the story had ended with the father bringing the son to the disciples and their inability to deliver the child, if the father had given up or if Jesus had been later coming back to where the disciples were, then here would have been a situation very similar to in Nazareth, what we read in Nazareth in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, where the will of God would be and was for the people to be healed, for everybody that's sick in that city to be healed. In the same way, it would would have been, it was and would have been the will of God for this boy to be delivered, even if he hadn't accepted or received it, or if Jesus hadn't come to make the thing right. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? not sure I'm saying it very well. But even in difficult cases, it was still the will of God for this boy to be well. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Let's start in verse 10. Speaking of Jesus, it says, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bound together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her he called her to him and said unto her woman thou art loose from thine infirmity. The root word for this word infirmity is the word redeemed. Jesus is literally saying you are redeemed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And said unto the people, There are six days which men ought to work, and then therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall, and lead him away to watering? And ought not, notice verse 16, it's the the key verse here, and ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all of his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for the glorious things that were done by him. Now one thing I like about this story is that the woman doesn't come to Jesus for healing. There's no mention on Jesus' part of him questioning her to find faith. In most cases, the vast majority of cases where Jesus ministered healing to individuals in the four gospels, most of those explicitly speak of the faith of the individual. For example, in Mark chapter 5, the woman with issue of blood, he says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. The whole story tells us about how she heard of Jesus, and when she heard of Jesus, she began to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. So she goes to where he is, touches, touches his garment, And the healing power of God raises her up. Jesus looked around to find somebody, to find the person that had touched him because he felt power go out of him and into her. He knows somebody has touched him in faith. Now there's a lot of people in that crowd trying to touch him, successfully trying to touch him. A lot of people are grabbing hold of him, and that's the disciples' response. They they said to Jesus, Master, thou seest the multitude thronging thee. In other words, everybody's trying to press up against you and touch you. And you want us to find one person that did it? Now here's the question. Why are people trying to touch him? They may have heard the same thing that she heard. That people are healed by the touch of Jesus. She may have heard the times like in Matthew chapter 14 where it tells us the whole multitude sought to touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched touched the edge of his garment were healed. Maybe that's something they had heard about. That would make sense for the woman with the issue of blood to begin to say, "If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole." But Jesus looks around, looks around about, and he sees the woman that has done this thing. She falls down before him and tells him all the truth. And he says, "This is Matthew, uh, Mark, chapter five, verse thirty-four. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague." Most of the individual cases of healing in the four Gospels are something along that line. That story gives us some more details about the operation of faith than some of the others. But most of the times where people were healed in Jesus' ministry, they were healed by a combination of their faith receiving the power of God that was on Jesus. There's no mention of that in this. There's no indication whatsoever in this story, this account in Luke chapter 13 that she has come for healing or that she approaches Jesus to receive healing or anything of that effect. This shows us God's compassion and the actions that Jesus took because of God's attitude toward sickness and disease. Let's read it again in verse 16. Jesus says, and ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. If Jesus speaks only the words of his father, then this means this is what God thinks. It means this is God's attitude regarding sickness and disease in her case. Now the reason I said in her case is because we know specifically that it pertains to her, Jesus is talking about her. But remember, God's no respecter of persons. Remember in Acts chapter 10, after Peter has the vision about the where the sheet comes down from heaven and there's all kinds of foods to eat clean and unclean animals and the Lord speaks to him in the vision and says rise slay and eat Peter says not so Lord I've never eaten anything unclean in my life and this happened three times finally the Holy Ghost said three, uh, there's three people downstairs looking for you go with them and don't ask any questions the next day they get to Cornelius's house and he hears about the vision that Cornelius had To send to Joppa to find him and in Acts chapter 10 verse 34 Peter says of a truth I perceive and now I realize he didn't understand this the day before he didn't understand what the purpose of the vision was but he said of a truth now I know that God is no respecter of persons and then just a couple of verses later in verse 38 he as he's teaching and preaching about Jesus he said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now that verse of scripture holds a treasure trove of information for us. It tells us that Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost to do the will of the Father. That confirms what we've seen in other passages. It tells us that everybody Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. It tells us that healing, in God's estimation... According to God's attitude is always a good thing. That lines up perfectly with what we know that John wrote to the church. 1 John chapter 3, the last part of verse 8. He said, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that's what Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees about here in Luke chapter 13. He says, ought not this woman be healed? He gives two reasons for for her being healed. He said, number one, she's a daughter of Abraham. Healing belongs to her. So the people that are complaining about the day that Jesus healed, there certainly is no indication that they tried to do anything to help her. They're just mad that it happened on their special day. So Jesus says, again, his words are the words of the Father. His works are the works of the Father. Jesus is doing the will of him that sent him. The work that he did was to heal her, to make her straight and to heal her body. That means that has to be God's will. And notice Jesus does not give any explanation to the rulers of the synagogue. He doesn't say, Now, look, I understand you've got a real problem with stuff on the Sabbath day, but I know that God especially wanted this woman be healed. I've already prayed. I've already sought God's face about this last night in prayer, and I found out that this is one of the ones that he wants to heal. Jesus understood a basic truth. It was true in Jesus' day. It's true in our day, and it'll be true for eternity. Sickness is always of the devil. Always, always, always. There is never a sickness or a disease that is according to the will of God a part of God's plan for anyone's life or has any purpose designed by God whatsoever the Bible sometimes uses the word plague but anytime there was a plague that came as a result of Israel's disobedience that plague was simply the angel of death that took people's lives in accordance with what the law of Moses said it would do God said extensively to his people in the Old Testament, if you'll obey me, if you'll keep my word, then healing and all the blessings of God will be yours. But if you disobey my word, you step out from under my protection, and judgment will call, Will come. It will fall. So Jesus knew the same thing that we ought to know. And that is that sickness and disease is always of the devil. Which means it's always God's will to heal. Because Jesus was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. So he says, ought not this woman be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? Two reasons why she should. Number one, she's a daughter of Abraham. What about you? Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith that we might receive the promise of the spirit by Jesus himself the last verse in chapter 3 of Galatians verse 29 says and if you be Christ then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise if we put these two verses of scripture together then we have to conclude that it's God's will for you to be healed because, you, the, because the blessing of Abraham belongs to you just as much as it did her. That's why I like this story. That's why I like the fact that this is God initiating something based on a right rather than just another case where somebody comes to him to receive healing. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a great thing to know. It's a great thing to have access to. And we can always lay hold of the blessings of God and the promises of God through our faith. That's non-negotiable. That's an absolute. But this shows what God's attitude toward people is concerning sickness and disease. And his attitude is, just as with this woman, she ought to be healed, so should you and so should I. We've got the same covenant blessings that she had that God used as a basis for bringing healing to her body. The second thing, the second point, the second reason that He said she ought to be loosed is because Satan has bound her for these 18 years. Don't you know how it must get under God's skin, so to speak, to see the devil run roughshod over his children? Taking hold of. And experiencing things that Jesus shed his precious blood for us to be free from. How angry that must make God. I don't think he's angry so much at us. He realizes that we're working through stages of belief. And maybe even overcoming ignorance in a lot of cases. But for God's mortal enemy, the devil to run roughshod over the children of God who have been made more than conquerors and by the blood of Jesus and through the knowledge of the word have been provided all things that pertain to life and godliness that would include sickness or include healing from sickness and disease so the two reasons he gives he says ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan is bound these 18 years shouldn't she be free? and that made everybody that was standing against it ashamed well the same question has to be asked of us doesn't it shouldn't we be free too thank God we are thank God we are so we see in a variety of cases concerning Nazareth the city of Nazareth even though they failed to believe Jesus was anointed to do healing works and miracles in their midst in other words it didn't work The reason it didn't work wasn't on God's end. It was on theirs. They refused to believe. The father that brings his son in Mark chapter 9 doesn't experience success with the disciples. But even though it's a difficult case and there's certainly not great faith exercised on the part of what the father said, it was still God's will to heal this boy and deliver him from the works of the enemy. Same thing's true in Luke chapter 13. This woman ought to be healed, Jesus said. Because she's been bound 18 years by the devil and she's a daughter of Abraham. Healing belongs to her as part of her covenant blessing. Just like it belongs to you and me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're always the same. You said of yourself, I'm God, I change not. So we know your attitude toward sickness and disease is the same today as it was in Jesus' day and as it always has been. Jesus identifies what your attitude is by simply saying, Ought not the children of Abraham be healed? Ought not the power of the devil be broken over their bodies? Just as the leper came to you questioning, is it your will to heal me? You answered him in the affirmative, and because you're no respecter of persons, that means it belongs to everybody equally. Thank you, Father, for your great plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking stripes on your back through which we might be and are healed in Jesus name we therefore declare by the word of God we are the healed of God and the healing blessing of the covenant that you made with Abraham is ours now and forever will be in the precious and holy name of Jesus Satan we serve you notice We refuse to allow you to have any part in our lives. We refuse to take sickness in our bodies. We declare that our bodies are healed. That we walk in divine health. We call our bodies well. We say that our bodies are free from every sickness and every disease. We say that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. And everybody that agrees.